Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We're both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 123. Today, we are talking about ideas and strategies for part work in the music classroom. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from the week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And it's time for our highs and lows from our teaching week. How is it going, Carrie? Oh, good. Um, So mine's a high related to a low, related to a high. (laughs) It all goes together. So um, my high personally is um, that last weekend, I got to go to Seattle and present for uh, NWKE, Northwest Kodai Educators, and just had an absolutely wonderful time there. Amazing chapter, had so much fun with friends and new people that I met, and it was just so great. So thank you, NWKE, for having me out. My low that is associated with this is as much as we love and I love presenting to to adults, man, it's hard to not have a weekend because then it went right into the school week. And then this week, my choir had their first performance. We had our like area vocal festival, like the local high school and middle school and elementary schools got together and did a little Veterans Day concert last night. And so it's just like, bam, bam, bam. And, you know, it just reminds me of the importance of having a weekend, being able to relax and decompress and catch up on those boring things like laundry and going to the grocery store and spending time with my family. So it's a high related to a low, but you know, I'm so grateful for when we do get to travel and when we do get to present, I don't want to give that up and I don't want to say no, but at the same time, I'm really tired this week because I feel like I'm just constantly playing catch up from not having my weekend. So that's where Mm -hmm. I'm at with my life right now. I feel you. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Okay. How about you, Tanya? Well, um, I'm sorry. I must go low. I took... (laughs) I took uh, two grades to the Colorado Symphony Youth Concert. And this is the first time that I took kids from my new school to the Colorado Symphony Youth Concert. And now it's funny because, I mean, I prepared the kids with what we were going to hear and all of this. Um, And then one of the kids the next day was like, it said youth concert. I'm like, yeah, it was for you. It was, it's for students. It's for, and they said, I thought it was going to be all kids like youth concert. Anyway. Like um, kids performing. Yes. Yes. Oh, (laughs) there's just this. Okay. Um, we had this thing called COVID happen. Remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm being reminded of that all the time because, um, you know, it's just showing up things that we are not, and by we, I mean, collectively, things that I just have always taken for granted that um, are not there. So, all right, I've been bringing kids to the Colorado Symphony Youth Concerts to hear the grown-up musicians play for oh, a really long time, since I started teaching um, in the district. And um, so this probably was like my 20th 
field trip or something ridiculous like that. I mean, of course there was COVID, so there wasn't any time, but uh, I don't know if it's just that kids were accustomed to going to concerts. Anyway, we've got some audience behavior um, skills to gain is my low. That's really what I'm trying to say. Um, I did prep them as did their high school, excuse me, I'm just losing my mind. I prepped them as long as did their homeroom teachers. Their homeroom teachers also did the whole, when we're in a concert, we do this, we don't do that. We do this, we don't do that. Anyway, so um, I prepared this whole field trip like to the best of my ability as very organized. We had everything went out in a timely manner as far as permission slips and I knew what they were going to play and I had signs so that we could keep together as a group because it was a sold out concert. And there's just like, you know, 600 children um, in the Denver Center of the Performing Arts area waiting to go to the concert. So it's kind of, you know, a nerve wracking scenario that you have to wait before you go in. Anyway, all this to say that with all my preparation, um, I just think I didn't prep the kids well enough to be audience members. I think that's something we're all learning for sure. Cause like you said, they just haven't been to concerts. They've been watching things online and, you know, um, you know, and then of course going to a traditional classical music concerts different than a popular music concert or whatever. Well, sure. And, and that was another thing is like, you know, they're talking yeah. to each other and all kinds of things. And um, yeah. So the day before we went, I told my students now we're bringing our lunches cause we're going to eat after the concert. However, they don't have room to store our lunches. So we're going to, everyone's going to be in charge of their own lunch, bring it into the concert hall. And I made sure I called the coordinator over at the Colorado Symphony and said, here's what I'm doing. I've done it in the past. We're bringing our lunches. We're bringing it into the concert hall. And of course they said, that's fine. Um, but make sure kids understand not to eat. And I'm like, of course. Yeah. Right. Which of of course, I informed the students and I had a, I had a group of fifth graders, a fifth grade class who were incredulous. They were like, we can't eat. I'm like, no, you can't eat at the concert hall. They're like, but what if we're really hungry? I'm like, I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. Well, can we drink? I'm like, no, you can't drink. Anyway, so I, I kind of spent the whole concert just mulling this whole thing over about um all right i i know i'm older and and maybe set in my ways and of the um we don't talk in concert variety of person people but i do understand genres i when i go to red rocks it's different right if i go to a stadium show it's different i mean different genres of music call for different audiences and then i thought maybe we're just changing as a society that it's now, I don't know. Should I give yes, in I and think? I mean, what? I, I have had that conversation with my kids and I related to sports where I'm like, okay, so you know how, like, have you ever watched golf or tennis? Like the audience, the, the, the spectators are expected to be quiet to allow for the concentration, but other sports, football, basketball, they encourage you to get loud and scream. You know, so yeah. it's just, I just related to that. Like there are different well, I, 
responses. I hadn't thought about the golf things. and tennis thing. That's a that's a good point. I should bring yeah. that up. Yeah. Anyway, I was just kids. I was feeling like an old fuddy duddy on the one hand. Because I mean, it wasn't nothing, nothing outlandish. It's just that kids are talking. They're having sure. conversations, right? And as far as the lunches go, um, yeah, I should not do that again because I don't know what it was this time. But so all the kids brought them their lunches in paper sacks and they put them down. And then those big metal water bottles that they all brought just roll on out. And, and the crinkling are, of the paper sacks. The rolling, yes. The rolling of the water bottles all over and the talking students. And oh my goodness. And now um, the dinging of the email. Uh, yeah. So I just kind of... <laughs> I just felt very out of control during the whole concert. I was very tense. It was hard to enjoy. Um, it's not about me enjoying the concert. I get that, of course. But uh, yeah, I just think I didn't do a good enough job with all of uh, the prep. But, you know, live and learn. Yeah, Ooh, makes sense. This too, will, I'll figure it out. So now it's time for our main theme, and we are going to talk about part work today. Um, Yay, definitely part work. coming coming at it from an elementary music perspective because that's who we are. But certainly, many of these ideas could be applied to uh, you know middle school settings and even early high school settings as well. And I think right off the bat, the the point that I'd like to get across is that part work, like all other skills, is um, something we build on and we can develop a sequence for it. So yes. in true Kodai-inspired classroom, Tanya and I have a suggested sequence of building part work skills that starts from early primary, I'd say first grade, perhaps even kindergarten, kindergarten yeah. and then building all the way up from there. And then how fast you build through those skills depends on your students and, and how quickly they're grabbing onto these concepts and, and able to demonstrate these skills. And obviously, again, if you were starting more upper elementary or middle school, you could progress through this whole sequence very quickly. But for us, yeah. we're, we're thinking a long-term progression, kindergarten through fifth, sixth grade. Yes. And I know that you and I share this idea that the definition of part work is very broad. Yeah. We're not talking specifically about singing in two-part or three-part harmony. That is, of course, a type of part work. But part, part work, like you were saying, can be started in kindergarten and first grade. And the very first part work we do is beat versus rhythm, where kids are feeling the beat in their body and also doing the rhythm in another part of their body. Or if they're feeling the beat and they are singing at the same time, that is part work. Yeah, totally. And if students are struggling to do both at the same time, then you divide them into two parts. So yep. this part over here, I'd like you to pat the beat. This part over here, I want you to clap the, the way the words go is, is what mm -hmm. I call it before I introduce the word rhythm. And then I do end up introducing the word rhythm when we learn ta and tt for the first time. But until that point, when we're in that preparation stage, which if you are interested in that, listen back a few episodes when we did our, our whole series on prepare for that practice but um yeah i just call it the way the words go and then we switch to the word rhythm once they know ta and tt and um i'm living this right now with with first grade because i just 
uh, yeah, did I'm I'm in the midst of steady beat work and just starting to prepare Ta and Titi. Um, so one of my go-tos is bounce high, bounce low, bounce the ball too shy low. Um, because what we're doing right now is we are passing a ball to the steady beat with just passing a ball to a beat with first grade is challenging. I tell you, there's some years where we try this and it just really doesn't work and I scrap it. But um, the kids who I have now are really feeling that beat, which is really cool. So we pass like a playground ball around with the beat. The student who gets the, la the ball in the last beat, they go play a beat on a Tubano drum during the next round and so on and so on. Um, yes. But it's really fun to to point out to them that, oh, well, when we pass the ball, do we pass the ball to the beat or the way the words go? And I kind of demonstrate how wacky it would be to pass to the way the words go. And they can really see and feel that that's not right. We need to pass to the steady beat while we sing the way the words go. So yes. that's one of my favorite beat versus rhythm activities. Yeah, I'm doing beat versus rhythm in first grade too and prepping Ta and Titi. And I'm, I'm really pleased with my first graders right now. Because uh, they are really showing that they understand the difference between beat and rhythm. And yes, I'm doing a lot of splitting the class in two um, and having this group over here playing the beat on an instrument and then this group over here playing the rhythm. Actually, what I first do is I, I like to start with a chant. So we just take out the melody. Don't even worry about it. So we've been working on Queen, Queen Caroline, washed her hair in turpentine, turpentine to make it shine. Queen, Queen Caroline. And so I'll have a group of students who play Tubanos. And I'm very lucky that I've got so many Tubanos. I can do half the class on a Tubano, each one of them on a Tubano. Cool. And then I'll have the other half of the class be on the other side of the room saying it and clapping the way the words go. So I start big with like, we're clapping now the way, well, we're calling it rhythm now, but we're clapping the rhythm. And then we'll go to tapping the rhythm with two fingers on one hand. And then we'll go to now we're going to use two rhythm sticks and we'll play the rhythm. And then we make that connection like, ooh, here's our rhythm sticks. And we're going to play the rhythm on the rhythm sticks. And this group is going to play the beat. So I like to start with really big movements. And meanwhile, they're doing that big movement with two hands on the beat on a big tubano drum. And this is also a time when I wish I had like a big gathering drum, which would yeah. be a lovely thing is to have like a group of kids in a circle playing the beat on a gathering drum. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, big movements and then bring it down to a little bit smaller and then bring it down to a little bit smaller. Um, and of course, I they need to feel it in their body before I put them on an instrument. Yes. So um, the first thing we add would be those percussion instruments long before I would add any barred instruments like xylophones or metallophones. Yeah. But um, yes, that beat versus rhythm, it really needs to happen before we get into anything else. And I'm doing that also in second grade and even in third grade. Oh, yeah. It's just that we go quicker through that sequence. Yeah. I start with a review of beat versus rhythm every year, even even in a fourth and fifth grade, because yeah, that's just such a foundational skill. It's not like once we teach it in first grade or kindergarten, now they've got it forever. Because yeah. you know, in society we interchange those words so much. You know, oh, yes. you hear adults who will say, Oh, I really like this beat, but what they really mean is the rhythm, you know. Yes. So um, yeah, that's just something I'm always having to remind students, even in yeah. upper grades. Yeah. So that would be a first 
example of part work. Yeah. And And then then, uh, next for me would be moving on to ostinato, but doing a rhythmic ostinato before we mess with a melodic ostinato, because as we know, you know, students just gravitate towards rhythm. If you're adding melody, now you're having to think about pitch and where the pitch is going. And that's just a much more challenging skill, both singing wise, vocal and melodic playing something on bars. So introducing the idea of, of an ostinato just rhythmically is is really important. And I try to introduce this towards the end of first grade, definitely at the beginning of second grade, they are ready to to really dive into that. And um, a really great way to start with that is taking any old song and then just taking a, a four beat um, phrase, rhythmic phrase and extracting it and that becomes your ostinato. I mean, it doesn't exactly. have to be, yeah, really difficult, um, you know some you know complicated thing just take four beats from from a song they know and then have them just echo that over and over and there you go there's your ostinato exactly yeah i've had a lot of success with taking the last four beats of a chant and making that the ostinato having everybody say the chant for example miss white had a fright in the middle of the night saw a ghost eating toast halfway up the lamp post and then i have a you know, half the class who will keep saying halfway up the lamp post, halfway up the lamp post. And then the rest of the group starts with Miss White again. So it's really, yeah, awesome when it comes from the literature you're already doing. Um, But this also could be an opportunity after you've done it that way is that you could have students brainstorm words that have to do with the chant and you could make a a chain, a word chain, and use that as your ostinato. Mm -hmm. And then if they're successful with that, you can put that on instruments. And yeah, so you can really go to town with using those short rhythmic ostinatos. Yeah, totally. All right. And then next would then be moving into a melodic ostinato. And, you know, just like you were saying with beat versus rhythm, it's always important to make sure they are able to sing that ostinato first, um, sing it vocally, either using solfege or sing it on, on the words, using body signs, using hand signs, but to be able to sing it first and embody that ostinato vocally before we apply it to bard instruments or handbells or boom whackers or whatever melodic instrument you might choose. Um, my go-to for this, um, this is typically second grade when we really start working on melodic ostinato is um, Are You Sleeping or Frere Jaca taking that last ding, ding, dong, ding, ding, dong. And while in second grade we're not singing do, so, do because we haven't gotten to that low so, they're still familiar with that phrase and can just sing that ding, ding, dong and sing it over and over again. And then I might pull out the bard instruments and show them how to play it without specifically talking about the solfa. Um, But um, something that I also picked up along the way and I don't know exactly who I picked this up from. I want to say it's my level two Kodai teacher, Sue Lighthold Bocock, but correct me if I'm wrong, Tanya, if you know someone else who does this, but um, the ostinato song is something that I've learned where we sing, ostinato, ostinato, who are you? Who are you? I'm a little pattern. I'm a little pattern. Stubborn too, stubborn too. And that's how I introduced that that vocabulary of ostinato. So it's just fun because it's the melody of Are You Sleeping? So then we can take any of those little patterns from that song and create the vocal ostinato from those patterns. 
I didn't sing with you because I know we're on Zoom and it doesn't work very well anymore. Um, but yes, I, I think I know that from Sue also. Yeah. I made a YouTube video on acapella. So yeah, if you want to go onto my YouTube oh, channel, nice. I you remember can find me and a puppet singing that little ostinato song. Me and a puppet and a puppet. I think there's three of us. I don't know. I can't remember right off the top of my head, but yeah, during COVID times, yeah, um, I did do a little ostinato thing performance. Yeah. yeah. And I use that too. And it's so funny because today I introduced, are you sleeping with my second graders? Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're half noting it up. Exactly. And we'll also be doing part work, part yeah. working it up. Yep. It's a perfect one. It is. It's a good one. All right. So moving on in my world, then the next skill would be rounds and cannons. And oh yes. boy, so many rounds, so many cannons. So many rounds and cannons. Yeah. So a shout out to uh, my favorite publication, and I know a favorite of yours, Tanya, is what we lovingly call the pink book or the pinky purple book. Pinky purple <laughs> one. Yes. It's uh, 150 rounds for singing and teaching by Bulkovac and Johnson. And we'll link yes. to this in the show notes, but it is just chock full of beautiful rounds and cannons, all different levels. I mean, I think Are You Sleeping is one of them that's in there. Yes. And that is such a great one because you can start with the ostinato and then add a round and cannon. And ooh, now you've got this beautiful kind of three-part, four-part harmony going however many you want to go um so yeah that's just a wonderful book with tons of ideas um but singing rounds and cannons i mean i try to start it in second grade sometimes we're not quite ready for it but yeah. during third grade is really when i when i hit that hard yeah and i've just been recently been pulling that book out because we're going my choir is going to be doing a um christmas kind of uh, outdoor very short performance and it's such a great resource to just pull something that's very simple um, but really build it up by making it a canon by adding other parts to it and perfect for choir yeah, I literally just did that this morning because, uh, man, same thing. My my students are going to do like a Christmas caroling event, but I wanted them to sing something like by themselves first. And mm -hmm. there's one in that pink book. And the, the text is, um, God bless all good friends here. But I changed it to welcome all good friends here. Merry, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. That's it. Yeah. And it's just exactly. such a lovely little round. We got to two parts today on our very first day doing it in choir. And um, but I'm gonna work up to four parts and then adding maybe some handbells playing the bum 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 yes. bum bum. So it's just exactly. gonna create a lovely little little part works moment for a choir same exact thing yeah and um it's, i had choir this morning and we were doing a canon well we were not doing it in canon because it was only our first day learning the tune um and we are doing sing sing together merrily merrily sing right mm -hmm. um and i was reminded because i I know this, but I still try it all the time. Uh, the kids have to know the song so very well uh -huh. before you add it in canon. And I, today, I was like, oh, seems like they really know it. Let's just give it a try. And of course, it fell apart. Um, so I, I'm constantly reminding myself, got to err on the side of just being extra solid before we bring it into two parts. Um, otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels wasting yeah. some time but they really need to be very solid on that because like for this 
sing, sing together, of course, they're going to be singing in thirds, which is tricky. Yeah. Right. So even though they're independent, they're singing the song and they can just, you can have that mindset of not even thinking about singing in harmony. I'm just singing the song a little bit after this other group, they still collided and, and, you know, ended up singing the same melody. So they really need to know well. Yeah, the very first time I do any sort of round or canon with students, um, I like to do the method of I have them all standing in a circle so they can really hear each other. So yep. they're singing part one and then over on the side, I'm singing in canon or in yes. a round uh, part two. And then what I'll do is I'll pull like two or three students over and join my circle and then pull yep. a couple more over and pull a couple more over till we're equal. And then I'll swap and go to the other group as I send students away <laughs> from me. Right. So then they end up being part one and I end up being part two. And I just think it's a really great great way to gradually work ourselves into that um, rather than just being like, okay, like you said, we know the song, now let's do it in two parts. The exactly. first time it, it's gonna yes. fall apart. So giving them that the gradual release works really well the first couple times we do it. Yes. And I've done that that way too. I just got overly excited today. Oh, I know. And I kind (laughs) of did the same thing with my choir. I was like, let's just try it in two parts. And Mm -hmm. they did pretty well. I mean, they they lost it a little bit, but not bad for the first day. (laughs) Right. And so um, another avenue to go down is having students sing the roots of the chords of songs. Yeah. Uh, and this is always wonderful when you can back it out. So here's, I'm now changing. Um, I had said earlier, we sing it first, we sing it first, and then we add instruments. But here's an instance where I might have them go on an instrument first. And I'm not even talking about playing full chords, but just the chord roots. I might put them on an instrument first before they're really solidly singing it. Yeah. And so I might set up, yeah. The first time as you relate it to like low, so for like yes. your, your fifth. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So having them sing do and low, so, or play do and low, so on a bard instrument, or this is really exactly. lovely with, with hand bells or hand chimes having. Yeah. Them. And this is where I love the hand chimes and I don't have hand chimes. Now I have hand bells, which I'm a little scared of. Cause I know they can get knocked around really easily. And I just love taking out those hand chimes and doing you know, your low, so, and do. Um, I like to bring back, here comes Mrs. Macaroni, which is something that I do in first grade. But then when we, we can bring it back and just have them playing on chimes, or you can set up an ORF instrument for, here comes Mrs. Macaroni riding on her snow white pony. Do, so, do, right? So if it's hand do, chimes, so, do. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so on and so forth. Uh, they can just play those and let those ring, those hand chimes or there's hand bells, but we could also be on an instrument and just play ta, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Another lovely thing would be like auto harps if you've got them and if they're yes. tuned well. Um, if they're know. tuned well, yes. <laughs> teaching them to play the one chord and the five chord in whatever key you're in. Um, and there are so many songs, especially in our American folk song literature that, that have that, that one, five, one, five, five, yes. one, you know, uh, Pa Patch is another favorite of mine in third grade where that fits that pattern of one, five, five, one. Right. Um, so yeah, there's so many songs that you can. Yeah. Just- and speaking of auto harps, here's a little bonus work, smarter, not harder. 
Um, if you do have auto harps and you want to use them because they're beautiful for students to just keep that steady beat on and you're like, I don't want to tune that whole auto harp. You don't have to just tune the chords you use, right? Just tune the one and the five chord. Yeah. And that doesn't take nearly as long. hundred percent. So, or use a dulcimer too. I mean, yeah, that's, that's true. That's a good yeah. thing too. Yeah. Also important, you know, if, if we're going to be talking about roots and, and chords that we also remember things that are law based, so minor, yes. um, you know, just making sure that they're also recognizing that if you were in a law based or law pentatonic, whatever you want to call it, you would have your law and your me be your, your one and your five in that case. Yes, exactly. Um, and I had written down for a law based, I love the song, Who Has Seen the Wind? Mm -hmm. Who has seen the wind? neither I nor you. And then you can have kids roll on a metallophone on your low law. That's my turkey sound, but much more high pitched. No, very nice. Yeah. All right. So then moving on to our next part work skill would be partner songs. Yay, partner songs. This is something I really love to hit when I get to fourth grade. If I get to an earlier grade. But, um, you know, especially when you have more expanded melodies, it's so much fun to to find songs that just go so well together. Um, I just did this today with my fourth graders. We were singing Little Liza Jane and Tidio as partner songs, which is so lovely because you get those high doughs at different moments which is really Man, fun i wish we were in the same room we should have recorded this one together so we i know sung. but that's funny you mentioned acapella because i remember now i have an uh, acapella video of myself doing liza jane and tidio that i did nice. during the pandemic so if i'll find it i'll link to it i think it's like the one and only acapella. you were you went crazy with the acapella tanya i didn't go so crazy with it well you know puppets Oh, I know. So cute. Um, I don't think mine included puppets. It was just me. Um, but yeah, I just, I love to have them do that. And then on those high does, I'll have them literally, like if we're like in a squatting position, I'll have them literally jump up on the high does when they sing them. And it's oh, just nice. so cute because they're popcorning up at different moments. And yeah, just one of my personal favorite little moments is Liza Jane and Tidio. That would be a cute little, uh, something for a concert or a program oh totally wonder yeah. if you could work it into the colorado concert oh maybe and if i've had enough space then because with with tidio you know it's like a double circle thing where they are doing a little clapping yeah. thing and a dish rag thing but then liza jane i play as a double circle hand clapping game i've actually had two circles doing the game simultaneously too oh which nice but really yeah that's awesome I don't have yes. enough room in my classroom right now, but I used to in my old classroom. <laughs> oh, That's the sad yeah. thing. Um, and Halloween is over, but hey, ghosts are all the time, right? All the time. All the they're, time. They're always with us. They're all with us. We can old Abram Brown and Ghost of John at the same time, which is oh, yeah. lovely. Yeah. yeah. And another shout out for that 150 rounds for singing and teaching, because not only does it talk about, you know, these beautiful rounds, but it also has suggestions for partner songs within those rounds and canons. And then you yeah. can, you can really go to town with, with all of this part work. It's so much yes. fun. And there's so many problematic songs that have been made. Oh, there are. Good, good partner songs that we don't even need to touch on, but yeah, there's if some. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Yeah, exactly. Moving on. 
<laughs> All right. So now I think it's fun to talk about then maybe what one would think of with traditional harmony as far as like singing two independent lines that maybe yeah. aren't necessarily partner songs, but might be um, kind of more a- like choral music in a traditional yeah. octavo. So a wonderful gateway into this are, um, there are some Oak publications that are really fantastic. I'm looking at two of them right now. Um, Sourwood Mountain is one. The Owl Sings is another. And there's a third one that I don't have in front of me. What's the third one, Tanya? No, I don't remember. Um, Putting you on the spot. Well, mine's way up high and I'll make a lot of noise if I get it. Hold on. Well, we'll Um, link to it in the show. We'll link to it. The Owl Sings, Sourwood Mountain, and... I, I can't, someone is yelling at us on the, I know, you know yelling they, at the podcast. They are. They're yelling at us in our car. Thank you for knowing. I don't know off the top of my head right now. Yeah, okay. but we'll, we'll link, link to it. it. Um, But these are just really fabulous arrangements. They're arranged for either two parts or three parts. And each part is kind of like its own little independent thing. So, you know, you've got this lovely independent part work going on where they're not getting convoluted and confused because they're singing in parallel thirds or things like that. Um, You know, sometimes it is ostinati, sometimes it is more of a partner song, but um, they're just written out in a really beautiful way. One of the, one of my wish lists someday is to have like, a class set of these of each book because then they would just be great for choir and just great yeah. to pull out and hey let's open up to you know this song and again they're based on popular you know common folk songs that kids already know so like here for example is is an arrangement of rocky mountain which is you know if we know rocky mountain in third grade then ooh now in fourth grade or fifth grade we can really expand on it and then they become beautiful little concert pieces so yeah i just i love these books they're they're one of my favorite things. I wish I used them more. Um, I think yes. I sometimes forget that they're there, so I just need to make it a point to to pull There's them out. There's also those Denise Bacon. Is it Forty Two American? Oh yeah, or like the Pentatonic Fox. Melodies. Yeah, they're the like short that. little books. Yeah, and also I mean the the Kodai things. I mean that were written as like little sight singing exercises, but then there's also like the the two part. Uh, you know whatever they're called the two <laughs> my brain is mush right now like, yeah there's like two-part exercises but they have text they have they have lyrics or you could just have sing students singing in solfa too so um those of you who have gone through you know kodai training don't forget the the things that you did in your musicianship classes especially in your level one musicianship classes are great for upper elementary oh yeah the basenica oh yeah are great um, yeah some of them are very simple and of course, if you teach, this is where if you teach middle school, you know, general music or choral music, this is your bread and butter, because this is where you're really getting your kids to sing some really lovely arrangements of things. Yep. Cool. Okay. All right. So then, you know, finishing up with what I consider to be the hardest thing that I attempt to do with my students is more like parallel thirds and chordal harmony. Um, yes. This is not even something I always get to. It depends no. on the kids and their ability level. Um, but again, finding really fun songs to do with them. One of my favorites is Sansa Chroma, which is a, a song from Ghana and that can be found in the Let Your Voice Be Heard publication. But there's a lovely little, you know, two-part arrangement and it really is just parallel thirds. But it's so lovely if, if you can get them to sing that in tune. It's just a great little beautiful moment. Yes, exactly. And no, I'm, I'm the first to say it's been a while. It's been a while. I mean, and it's going to be a while before I am 
and thirds and chordal harmonies that much. Um, The pandemic did no favors to melodic work for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. But that's a really good jumping off sequence. Um, and maybe it sparks some ideas for you on going towards doing some part work and, you know, starting small and building from there. And they, kids will do amazing things if you lead them towards it. Totally. Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's talk about. I was going to say something like inappropriate about you're going to ruin Christmas for us, aren't you? <laughs> no, but I am going to make us think. How about that? Yes. No, I'm jo- totally joking. I've come to terms with this one. Please well, yeah. go. Well, yeah. okay. So this this one goes in the in the category of of gray area. I'm just gonna say it. Um, okay. uh, let's talk about jingle bells, okay? Let's, let's talk, talk about, about jingle bells. So, um, I, I'm gonna link to a few different articles that I've read and a YouTube video that I've watched. And, and can I? Sorry, yeah. are these blog posts articles? No. Here? These are like oh, like real articles. things. Good. Although, I mean. Nothing against blog posts, but I'm just trying to, you know, let's. There's a difference yes. between academic research and just reading something on a blog post. And exactly. that, the blog post might lead you to the academic research. That's fabulous. And I'm not even going to say that I've spent hundreds of hours researching. This was a quick Google search that came up with lots of things. So the the question around Jingle Bells really started with where was this song actually first written? And um, one of the, the articles that many people have pointed to is a 2017 article that was written by, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. It's spelled K-Y-N-A. So I'm going to say Kaina, Kaina Hamill, um, who uh, was, is still perhaps a, a professor at Boston University. And she wanted to do some research on where Jingle Bells was written because she is from uh, Bedford, which is one of the places that claims that Jingle Bells was first written. But then I think it was Savannah was the other place that was like, no, Jingle Bells was written here. So that kind of led her down a rabbit hole of researching Jingle Bells and find out where it was written. It was written by James L. Pierpont. And where the problematic history comes along is that this song was likely first performed at a blackface minstrel show. Now, what we don't know as far as the research goes, from what I can tell, what what this original article or this particular article um, was not that it was necessarily written for the Blackface Minstrel Show. And this is where the gray area occurs because, you know, you and I, Tanya, have talked off mic that if a song was written for a minstrel show to be sung in a mocking way about Black people, then absolutely not. It's never going to be in my classroom again once I find find that out that information, know better, do better. We've talked about examples of that in the past. This one is not quite so clear because while it was performed at a blackface minstrel show, it's not 
conclusive that it was written for a blackface minstrel show and there is nothing in the lyrics that necessarily point to it being written in a mocking way um could it have been performed in a mocking way probably but was the original intent to you know down you know put down people to to poke fun of people to do anything to lessen people um I don't think it's conclusive. So here's here's kind of where I'm. my personal opinion is. I'm gonna stick with that phrase that we love so well that we've heard many people use, in particular, uh, Brandy Waller-Pace from Decolonizing the Music Room. Um, when in doubt, leave it out. You know, it's just one of those songs that, do I really need my kids to sing Jingle Bells in my classroom? No, I mean, there are just so many other songs we can sing, aside from the fact of why are we elevating Christmas? But then that also brings up a whole rabbit hole of, was Jingle Bells really written for Christmas? No, it actually wasn't. Um, there it was written this, for Thanksgiving, right? Well, but that's actually been somewhat debunked, maybe oh. or maybe not. That's kind of part of the Bedford story. So there's like the Bedford, Massachusetts story that, oh, this song was written for Thanksgiving. It was actually sung um, at like a Sunday church service all about Thanksgiving. And then the other side of it is, no, it was probably written in a bar and, you know, sleigh ride, like late night sleigh ride with with uh, a lady was kind of like a drinking song kind of a context like it's like hot rotting in your car with a hot chick was kind Ooh. of like the yeah so there's like there's all sorts of kind of things because then it also brings up yeah like appropriateness that way now would our kids understand that absolutely not they're not going to get that context but um you know, some people say that that in itself is also problematic. So it just brings on all these layers of why, why, why do we need to cling to this in our elementary school? Now, um, here's what I am going to say, though, like, am I going to like go on a tirade where every time I hear someone sing or speak or mention Jingle Bells, I'm going to go, well, actually, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to like throw articles at them. For this particular song, not necessarily. I just think it is so entrenched in our culture that it's one of those things that, you know, I'm I'm not going to, that's not something that I'm going to like take on myself and, and try to try to tell people. Um, you know, the difference between that and like five little monkeys jumping on a bed, right? If I hear a teacher in my school who's doing that with their class, I... I might try to approach that conversation with some research and some tact and some, hey, when you know better, you do better conversation. But for me, Jingle Bells isn't one of those because, again, it's not quite as clear what the origin of this story is. And to just kind of summarize this this way of thinking as well, you know, this woman who wrote the article, she was just putting information out there in a very you know kind of historical thing a historical way and um there was a district uh council rock district council rock being in what state now i forget might be actually massachusetts i i need to look that up sorry but council rock school district which is somewhere um officially removed jingle bells from their 
elementary music curriculum said, you know, they, they made it public. They said, we will not be doing this song in our school and here's why. And actually the woman who wrote the article was surprised by this. And this is a quote from her. She said, I'm actually quite shocked the school would remove the song from the repertoire. I in no way recommended that it stopped being sung by children. My article tried to tell the story of the first performance of the song. I do not connect this to the popular Christmas tradition of singing the song now. So, and then she she was very much, you know, uh, accused of, uh, I don't know what you would say accused of. She was attacked in a way. I mean, I think there were, t there were times where people said that that wasn't the correct response, that she should be supportive of <laughs> removing the song from the curriculum. So there's a lot of back and forth on this one. And again, my personal stance is, Am I going to do it with my own children in my own classroom? No. But am I going to be running out and telling every person I know you should never do Jingle Bells again? No, because I don't think that the historical context is 100% clear. Wow. So that's where yeah. I'm at with it. When in doubt, leave it out. Can yeah. I put you on the spot, Tanya, and ask what your feelings are about Jingle Bells? Well, yeah, I did not go down as far, far down the rabbit hole as you have. So I really appreciate hearing all of this because I have spent a little bit of time trying to figure out my, you know, what, what's going on with Jingle Bells. Um, and I also decided, okay, well, I'm not going to do Jingle Bells because I'm not positive. Um, you know, I, I know many of the verses. I've sung many of the verses in like magical groups and things. And, you know, it's supposed to be a humorous song. And so it doesn't appear but that there's anything derogatory, derogatory in the lyrics. But yes, what was it written for exactly? So anyway, same, I've come to the same, same conclusion that this is just something I don't need to do it in the music room. Also, because the kids know it anyway. Exactly. And any thing I was going to teach musically, there's other stuff to teach with, you know, to get that, those rhythms or those melodies. It's not necessary that I do it. Um, I'm not gonna, I mean, I don't, I don't love Jingle Bells. I'm okay not hearing it again. I did this octavo that I'm sure lots of people have done, Winter Fantasy from yep. a very old textbook series that has a partner song with Jingle Bells that I would do with my choir every year that everyone loved. And then I would have alumni that come back and they would sing it with us too. And so, you know, for a minute, I was like, well, that's kind of sad that we're not going to do it. And I thought, you know, I can find other partner songs. There's yeah. other winter themed partner songs too. Yeah. And even though it doesn't mention Christmas, I do think it is linked strongly to Christmas. Most people, if pressed, people on the street, you would stop and say, name a Christmas song. I would bet, you know, five out of 10 would jump to Jingle Bells immediately, right? Yeah. Um, I don't need, to, it doesn't need to be taught by me. It doesn't need to be represented in the music room. I do associate it with Christmas as I think a lot of people do. I don't know. I, I just, I, I've let go of it. It's okay. There's other songs. We just do other songs. Yeah. 
that's exactly what I, my feeling is too. And, um, you know, just today, my, my choir, because we are going to do some kind of traditional holiday caroling, we were brainstorming today and I was getting their suggestions of, you know, what songs do you think are well known that we could sing that people would sing with us? And, you know, they were calling out all sorts of things and, you know, they definitely said, well, Jingle Bells, we should definitely do Jingle Bells. And, you know, I just made the point very quickly that, you know, that song gets done so much. Like, there are so many other songs. Let's pick some other ones. So I didn't take that moment to sit there and say, well, actually, kids, and go yeah. to the history yeah. of Jingle Bells. I just, like you said, that's a song that so many people know, and they're going to hear it so many times. Let's let's do some of the ones that are maybe a little bit more lesser known, but still fun to sing. And, yeah. you know, they were fine with it. I didn't see any tears. So... So that's my my personal view of Jingle Bells. And, you know, again, if you are choosing to exclude it from your classroom, I see why. If you're choosing to include it in your classroom, I do see why. And, um, you know, I just think you have to know your students, know your population, do your own research, do your own homework, which is why I'm going to link to a few articles that I read and a few things that were helpful to me. Um, but do your own homework. That's that's my takeaway. Exactly. So now it's time to work smarter, not harder. Tanya already gave us a bonus one about auto harps. So I'm dying Woo-hoo. to know what this one's all about. <laughs> because I know everybody's using auto harps all the time. I think constantly about tuning my auto harp. <laughs> I don't have a single auto harp anymore in my room. And you know, the oh, really? sad truth is I had auto harps in my last school and I barely used them because I didn't want to tune them. So oh, I, I had like four advice. and I tuned them around this time of year because I have a a Thanksgiving Day song that I play two chords and I get the kids to play two chords on. And so I kind of miss them right now because I'm like, oh, I won't be playing the Thanksgiving song with the auto harps now. It's about food. It's not, you know, anyway, Um, it doesn't matter. Auto harps. Yeah, this is not about auto auto harps. It's just about tiny little procedures in the music room and how you can save some time if you set these procedures up and the kids get used to them and then they just understand this is how we do things. All right. So one of these things, and I'm becoming more aware of these because I'm at a new to me school and I'm noticing, oh yeah, that's right. I haven't like codified like how we go about choosing partners. So this is a choosing partner thing. Um, initially when it's time to choose, let's say two people who are going to be in the middle for some game, I will have, uh, my Idokio, you can do the, uh, roll the dice and have it choose somebody. And also you can have Idokio like say the name and sometimes she mispronounces the name, but you know, I set the kids up and say, I know she might say your name wrong. She says my name wrong. Um, but let's just see. And then the kids know it's totally random because they hear a name come out of my iPad on Idokio. Um, and then the little picture like kind of pops up. So after I've chosen initial partners, then I let those two kids, the next round, they choose, oh, well, choose someone to take your spot and be this part thing. Choose someone to take your spot. Uh, and so the little tiny works smarter, not harder is that when let's say, Laura is in the middle of the circle and it's her turn to, and she's had her turn and now she's going to pick someone to take her place. She picks Steve 
And then Steve goes in the middle, middle of the circle and Laura goes to Steve's spot in the circle. Yep. It's just a tiny little thing. I bet everybody does this already. But, you know, you get this where they're used to it. And then you don't have to him and haw about, oh, hey, nope, don't go over to those. Yeah, you're next to your buddy. You're going to be talking the whole time. You don't have to go through all that. It's yeah. just that Laura knows, oh, I pick Steve and I just go to Steve's spot. Yeah. I fill in that empty spot. Easy, easy thing. Yep. Yeah. And now it's time for our CODA section where we talk about the wonderful things we've been consuming in or out of the classroom, your rich inner life. Tell us all about, about it, Carrie. A life outside of the classroom? What's that like? No. Um, I started a new book and I'm sorry, I haven't finished it yet, but I really like it so far. So I feel like it's still going to be a good endorsement. Um, it's called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Have you heard? Oh, of I've read that. Oh, you have read I have it. feelings, but we can talk after. Okay. I mean, but, talk uh, after you finish the book. V.E. Schwab. Okay. Well, then maybe I'll have a turn, but this is very much a book that, that fits the bill for me, especially this time of year, because it's kind of dark and broody. Um, a young woman in France in the 1700s makes a deal with a, with a dark figure, like a, a, a a very broody figure and um, is is forced to live a life that maybe she didn't really want to live. So um, without giving away too much. Um, anyways, I like it. I started it on the plane on my way to Seattle and I got a good chunk of it read because I just I just really am enjoying it. It's it's checking all my boxes right now as far as a good fiction kind of spooky book for this time. I, of year. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to you about it because I enjoyed it and I have thoughts. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. You always have interesting thoughts on books that you are not well, afraid to share. So that's good. Yes, but I'm not going to do that now. It's oh, and speaking of which, I'll just say, I'll share it right here on the microphone. I know how you feel about how the crawdads sing. Oh my I, God. I watched the movie on the plane. Oh, really? <laughs> on, I'm sorry. On my, and I, yes on the plane on the other way. You know, I didn't love the book either, but I actually kind of liked the movie a little bit. I thought it was actually kind of well done. I mean, mm -hmm. this isn't like deep thinking stuff, but um, it was entertaining on a plane at least. So I guess if you are stuck on a plane and you want to watch a movie, it's not a horrible one. I watch. don't think that I, I can't think of another book that I hated more than that book in the last <laughs> So I wanted to bring years. it up. It's so funny to hear you talk about it. I, I won't. I won't go into it. I'm sure everyone's like slamming off this podcast because no. If you I, love I, it, I, I get other it. people who share your opinion. For okay, sure. you know what? I liked it enough to read the whole book. That's saying sure. something. Yeah. It's just that once I was done with the book, I was angry, angry. Oh, I know you've told, uh, but I won't speak of this. No, anyway. but I will yes. say if you liked the book, I don't, I heard some people say they thought the movie was really bad, but I thought it was actually okay. But again, I was on a plane, you know, I, you're in a different yeah. mode when you're on a plane. It's like, whatever, I'll take what I can get. But my defunct book club, you know, we keep meaning to get back together. And one of um, my friends who's in the book club, she was like, we should all go see the movie. And I said, you know, I want to get us all back together. And I, I want to be with all of you, but I will not see that movie. 
this isn't the way we're going to do it. No, it's already taken up too much of my time. That, <laughs> that book, no more. I'm not seeing the movie. Sorry. All right, Tanya, why don't you just have an opinion on something? You know, okay. stop being so wishy-washy. <laughs> I know. Sorry. All right. What's your coda, Tanya? Um, well, I started a book too. Okay. Um, and I actually started it the day it dropped because I am a super fan of the band U2 because they're like one of the very first bands that I became a big fan of. So like when I was 12, 13, 14, uh, U2, they loomed large in my preteen and teenage life. And so of course, when Bono drops a memoir, even though it's 20 hours on, on the audiobook, of course I have to listen. Um, and yes, listening's the way to go because it's Bono and the song, the the album, so the album, the book is called Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story by Bono. So of course there's little snippets of music in there and it's Bono with his fabulous Irish accent you know, reading his story and, um, it's 20 hours. So it's a little daunting, but I'm, I'm in it. Cool. That's gotta happen. It's you too. It's Bono. I have to say, I haven't been a huge fan in the last like 10 to 15 years, but it's like, you know, there's something always about one of your very first bands that you really became dedicated to. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to let that go. So I, I want to know all about it. And uh, so I'm listening to Bono tell his story for 20 hours. Nice. And, yeah. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking. <laughs>